them 16 straight years in a row welcome back to the clemson podcast i'm your host Jarrett, for the first time tonight because tully is busy somewhere in agony watching the guardians lose to the yankees joining me tonight is cody and we're here to recap your clemson tigers beating fsu 34 to 28 in tallahassee so cody we went down to tallahassee started down 7-0 to start the game and then came back beating the Knolls. 34 to 14 in the fourth quarter before allowing some uh, garbage fourth quarter scores that Dabo was pretty upset about. Um, finished the game 34 28. So, you know, knee jerk reaction. You can just share yours. I'll share mine and let's dive into it. Let's do it. Well, first, really good job on the intro. I think, uh, yeah, you're setting the bar really high for Tolly and Ben when they, uh, <laughs> when they host next. So, good job. And that also says, like, you know, you're brand new to the podcast, you're hosting. That just shows how bad of a host I, I must be that uh, you're stepping in. But, but no, you're, you're great. You're a natural. So good job there. Um, Thank you. Knee-jerk reaction. So uh, I would say the score, um, the score doesn't indicate, obviously, how good Clemson played. There's some, pro- there's some problems, and we'll talk about them. I think most of them on the defense. But I got to say, I think the last two games, now, now this Florida State game was not a complete game, but the last two games have been a little bit reassuring that things are going in the right direction. It seems like, you know, there's certain position groups that are like one step forward, two steps back. But collectively, in aggregate, I feel like the team is moving forward and it's, start to, it's starting to look more like a playoff team. So positive, positive vibes is what I'm, what I'm coming with after the FSU game. I like that. I like the positive vibes. Um, you know, starting down 7-0 and and, you know, being a little nervous, I think uh, once this game got moving, I think they call it the middle eight. Maybe Bud Elliott likes to say that. The middle eight, that's probably a Belichick thing too. Um, we really dominated that. And I feel like we've done the middle eight really uh, well for the last couple of games, like you said. But I think the story for this game to me is either side of the ball kind of starting out a little slow, then looking really locked in like a complete team for that middle chunk, and then kind of fading off on the uh, – you know, the back half or, you know, that fourth quarter at times, and you know, that can be frustrating as fans where, you know, you want this team to be locked in and um, crushing it each, you know, moment of the game. But I think it's hard to deny that Dabo has the chemistry down to how to make his team peak in the season at the right time. So I think we're just dealing with some of those growing pains. What do you think? Yeah, it's, yeah. If you look at the numbers from the game, it it does look like it's pretty comparable. If you, and if you're just looking at the score, you think, wow, that's a close game, but you're right. I think it's, I mean, I don't know how I don't, you're, the middle eight is, is important. I know that's a recurring theme and it has been for several seasons. Clemson looked great. The defense made the plays there at the, both at the end of the half and, and to open uh, the, the second half. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if, the, again, I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know what that is, but uh, I, I got to say that the defense did really hunker down there for a, for a small spell. And then you're right. It, it, it kind of fizzled there towards the end. And I don't know, maybe we can talk about that later, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sounds like we're kind of saw the same game. So that's a good place to start. Um, let's just do what we normally do. And we're just going to jump into the offense. So one of the most interesting stats out of this was the wide receivers were only targeted six times. And out of those 
targets, only caught three of those balls. So I've been kind of scratching my head as far as do we feel that that's more of like we're designing to lean more on the runs and to pass the ball around to like running backs and tight ends and not so much receivers for this game? Or is that something FSU showed us? And I, I want to say that part of it is like building some chemistry more on the O-line for run blocking and run blocking situations and also just trying to get more players in space, seeing that wide receivers haven't been consistent catching the ball. And, you know, so just letting them do more blocking and trying to spread the ball around. So, yeah, that's a, what do you think of that weird stat? That's that's weird to see only six um, wide receiver targets it's for funny. wide receiver you. It's funny. I just rewatched the game and like I'm like, that's not true in my head. But I start thinking about it. I'm mm-hmm. like, you're right. Most of the passes did go to Will Shipley or, or Mafa on the outside or to the tight ends. So mm-hmm. for one, it's like, that's hard. To, you're right. That's hard to believe that wide receiver you, uh, which we're not any longer, uh, no. it's, it's getting six pass attempts and three receptions. And by the way, the, the guy that caught the line share of those is a really good wide receiver, which is Antonio Williams. And I guess we can talk about him more in depth later, but I, I'd say that the big takeaway there is that I touched on this, I think a little bit last week or maybe the week before the, the flexibility and in, in the way Brandon Streeter is opening things up in the way, and the way I always thought about it with Tony Elliott was we're trying to run the same system. Uh, we're trying to, you know, interchangeable parts. We do Clemson football, regardless of the personnel. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and Brent Venables was the complete opposite. He's like, I'm going to craft my game plan and, you know, our, our, we're going to lean on the strengths of the defense and think, you know, think of like Isaiah Simmons and how he became a Swiss mm-hmm. Army knife for the defense in 2019. I felt yeah. like the offense never did that, but it looks like Brandon Streeter is really adapting and saying, okay, our running backs are really good. We feel like we can really exploit some things in the flats. Our, our t- tight ends are really good. We have, you know, it helps, mm-hmm. it helps with uh, wide receiver blocking or edge blocking when uh, Brandon still is on the outside. So using all these things to our advantage based off the personnel, rather than, you know, trying to make, you know, what is it? Round peg square hole type deal. Like, yeah, I think, I think we're just utilizing our strengths and I, I give a lot, a lot of credit to Brandon Schroeder for that, but also some of the play calling and, and some of the u- uniqueness uh, and creativity he's brought forth this year. That's a really good point. And I think, you know, if you imagine from Streeter's perspective, you're kind of the second in line guy for several years and you're as an offensive mind, you know, you're watching every season Brent Venables change out his scheme based on who he has. I mean, even when, you know, he made Christian Wilkins play DN for like most of that one year in like 2015 or whatever that was, you know, so just that open and willingness to like play to whatever your strengths are. And um, I think that Streeter saw that for all those years and decided like, Hey, like, I think this is a better, more efficient use of everybody's skills rather than just trying to put everything in a box um, and just, just, you know, cookie cut, cookie cut the offense every year, depending on what the ingredients are. Now that might be a hot take. I can't read Brandon Streeter's mind or know how that all worked out. But so if, if he is doing more creative things with the offense, then I'm actually excited to see that because we start to see other guys start to emerge. Like you mentioned, Antonio Williams, where like I said for a couple of um, weeks now, he really feels like the, um, the key that unlocks a lot of the versatility of that offense. I mean, just look at the pass he caught for a touchdown, you know, he comes around and breaks the, um, you know, against the sideline. And then when they had the flea flicker, it's DJ hands off to Mafa. Mafa flicks it to um, Williams, who's coming back across. And then Williams tosses it to DJ. Now, could another receiver have done that? Probably. But I don't know that's a coincidence that he's constantly in on these explosive plays. What do you, what have you seen from him? I think he's one of the quieter storylines from the year, just how good he is like to, you know take a, take his stats away because I think there's I think you're going to see more and more stats. He's going to start padding. I, I think mm-hmm. he's becoming like I mean just take, like you said take this game. He was like our, our only wide receiver option. I think Ngata had the other catch. I believe. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's in, I think he's incredible, and I think we should talk about him more. I think we're going to have more um, stats. You know to kind of back his performance, but just what I've seen from him and his ability, the way he um, he can he can get out of like uh, his 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 route running. He can break right, left. He understands leverage. Um, he's, he can make plays in the open field. Mm-hmm. I don't know the last Clemson player that's had that like kind of, uh, 
that that like versatility and 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 an ability. I mean, of course, Hunter Renfro was great at like route running and and you know catching the ball, and uh, and like Sammy Watkins was super explosive. But uh, what he brings to the table is is completely unique. And I and I, maybe I'm blanking on someone in, of the past. Of course, there's the T Higgins and uh, Mike Williams of the world, but like he's a different skill set. So uh, very man like overdue, but also much needed for, for DJ. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I think he, I, his, his progression, I, I think is elevating the offense. We're seeing it in real time. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what this guy can be in year two or three. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, here's an early hot take for you. Is Antonio Williams slowly becoming kind of the Isaiah Simmons of the offense? It's a, it's an unfair comparison, but I guess what I mean is that when Antonio Williams is on the field, do you feel more comfortable that we now have a lot of different options at our disposal that we're not going to get with Spectre, with Bo, and with Ngata? Like, no disrespect, like those are great receivers, but it feels like Williams is going to, there's a lot more options that he's going to unlock for us. Whereas the other guys, they're pretty much just going to run their position, their routes, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think uh, like Isaiah Simmons was like the eraser because he could, he covered so much ground. He made other people. Like it made made their jobs that much easier, but for Antonio Williams, I think mm-hmm. it's just I think he does that for DJ essentially. Like he, he's yeah. when they get when they get more chemistry, and it appears that's happening now. He's you know he's been a first stringer for three weeks now. I think I, mm-hmm. I think he's the guy that's going to elevate DJ even more, um, especially when things break down. You know, invariably they will. So it gives DJ mm-hmm. a, a target uh, of a guy that's really has um, just really good skill set. Just you know, really really good you know. And regular route running, but when things break down, seems to have that kind of uh, football instinct to, to get open as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's the uh, other guy, Adam Randall, of course. And I looked it up, and Adam Randall and EJ Williams both had about 30 snaps apiece. But what's interesting, too, is that, like, I don't know if EJ had any targets, but I don't think Randall had any targets. So, you know, it's like these receivers have been on the field, like getting reps, getting reps, getting reps. And you just have to believe that in the next few games, because we don't play any more road conference games because, you know, Notre Dame's on a conference game. They're too busy, you know, uh, sucking up all their independent money, which is fine. Secure the bag, whatever. But um, yeah, I, I just want to believe that these receivers are getting ready to pop because they're getting a bunch of snaps and if not, honestly, then I feel pretty decent with what we have at the tight end and the running backs. And then with the younger receivers, if that means like, you know, overthrowing some of the senior guys. I think so. I, it's, it, it's in just a matter of time before EJ and uh, well, for one, I, I think unlike other years, they have to prove it a little bit on the outside with blocking. Cause I think mm-hmm. there's been a decline T Higgins and uh, young Justin Ross were really, they were really motivated to block and it really helped. It helped DTN a lot. I've seen mm-hmm. there's been a little bit of a drop off in that in recent recent seasons and making sure that they're committed and they're willing to block. It's like, Hey, there's not a ton of options at the mm-hmm. nine and the five spots, you know, uh, there's Collins and Gata, EJ Williams and, uh, and Randall. And then, you know, obviously Dakari Collins left. So like, they're going to get, they're going to have their opportunities. Like you mentioned earlier, I don't, I don't know what was happening in terms of scheme. If that was just what was open, in terms of getting it mm-hmm. in the flats and those, you know, those shorter routes. And and we, that was just the game plan that was uh, in response to their def- defensive strategy. Or if, if that's just part of the strategy going forward, because these are the the better parts of the unit, I don't know, but they're going to have their opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, I know that, like you said, there's not a ton of options, like, you know, maybe two, maybe three deep at some of the positions with some younger people, um, a, a group that I want to see get more reps. And I'm just super glad that they're healthy is the offensive line. I mean, I think that uh, Mitchell Mays came in for a little bit for like maybe 13 snaps, but you know, I get that they're wanting to build chemistry, but I just get nervous as we get deeper into this season when we're just constantly putting lots of reps on McFadden and on, um, you know, parks and like all of these guys in the same unit. So where we are now, obviously Syracuse is going to be really tough, but do you foresee that in the back half against maybe like Louisville and Miami, and I mean, Notre Dame's only three and three. So, you know, do we start to see a little more rotation up front or are we just not comfortable enough to move any other offensive linemen 
uh, to get anything other than like purely garbage time snaps. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult with the offensive line, right? Because you, you do, and you saw Mitchell Mays out there and, and, you know, and spelling Blake Miller. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's rare that you see that because you're, I guess you're potentially putting your quarterback at risk. And so you'd see games often where the offensive line starters are getting all the, all the snaps. It would be good to work some, some of the younger guys in Colin Sadler. Uh, again, Mitchell Mays would be a candidate. Um, Mm-hmm. blanking on the five-star from last year at tackle just because I haven't seen her heard much of him uh, this year, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there's some guys that would be good to work in, but I think, I think the best way to go about it is hopefully we get a blowout. I think the thing about this season mm-hmm. is we've had a little bit better schedule than we anticipated. So we haven't had, uh, yeah. there hasn't been a lot of like second halves where we're up 40 to, to seven. And then you have these opportunities to bring in, you know, Kate Klubnick and, and, and some second team offensive linemen, but yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think that those guys do need reps because we've had injury luck, knock on wood, but that's not always uh, it's not always how it goes. Yeah, this season has definitely had people like I think I looked it up, and I think that this Saturday against Syracuse will be the third top twenty five team we've played and the third unranked team that we have a chance to give their first loss to. So. You know, I don't think any of us looked at the schedule this year and were trembling necessarily, but I've been impressed with uh, some of these teams, you know, with Wake Forest, with Syracuse uh, um, that are just going out there and finding ways to win. And I think you're probably right that because these teams are not necessarily, um, you know, just floating by and letting us beat them up, it makes it so that we're not able to get some of those substitutions in. And, um, yeah, I guess there's really not much we can do about that until we start really, you know, hanging the points on the board. Yeah. It, it, if, if I told you going into the year that Notre Dame would be our, and this might not be true, but it would be our fourth best, the fourth best team on our schedule. You'd be like, no, no way. Right. But I think that that might be the case. Yeah. Maybe. The yeah. It could. Yeah. I could see an argument for either one of those. That's going to be a really interesting game too, because, you know, DJ has his moment to come up there and get some revenge. I think Dabo is always going to take the opportunity to poke Notre Dame in the eye just because of his background of being a walk-on guy and a scrappy person versus the, you know, culture program that's, uh, you know, basically gilded and the media darling. So it, what, what's something that you would uh, not to skip Syracuse, but while we're thinking about it, like what do you want to see up there when we go to South Bend for that fourth or fifth toughest game of the year on the football field, like a, like a result. Uh, yeah, sure. Unless you're talking about going to see touchdown Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's some sites there that I want to see. Um, no, like I think it's all about redemption for, for DJ. Uh, and not even mm-hmm. like, like, look, the, the 2000 and, uh, 20 game, but not a big deal that we lost it. He played DJ played out of his mind, but uh, just they're a good defense. That's the one thing they have going for them. So I think to go out to, to keep the, the offensive progression and keep moving, that could be like, if we play well in offense, that could be a, a statement game yeah. of sorts doing it in South Bend. And uh, even though they're not ranked, I think that says like kind of creates a peck in order. It's like, Hey, Hey, uh, what did you call the media, darling? The uh, the evil, yeah. the evil empire. Like, yeah, you know, you're not you're not Clemson. No, and yeah. I mean, the kids are just playing with passion right now. I mean, I don't think I don't think that I've seen a guy more passionate. And I probably need to finish the sentence before you can probably think like who's the most passionate person on this team. You know, number one, Will Shipley. I mean. Every time that guy runs through a hole, he literally, he basically like cuts a flip, stands up and starts like screaming red face. It's like only because he's mad. He didn't get 20 more yards on that run. Can I, who, who, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say who in recent memory would you compare his like level of excitement? I mean, maybe Christian Wilkins. Yeah. Uh, Christian Wilkins comes to mind. I'm trying to think cause he, yeah, he's a, he's a fierce competitor. A lot of like mm-hmm. a lot of his energy, it comes out of like a competitive fire, which is, you love to see that as a fan. Uh, yeah. I mean, Christian Wilkins comes to mind. Uh, I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of someone else. I mean, Ben Bulware maybe, but, uh, 
I was just yeah, gonna, that's true. I was just going to say about like a a little nitpick here. What's becoming frustrating mm-hmm. is the offensive line's inability to block through the interior. And you see, if when Will Shipley, when he he looks, it's just fun to watch him when he gets. And he, look, like he doesn't have that breakaway, that fifth gear, but he's got that mm-hmm. like intermediate speed where he can get up the field really quick and hit and, yeah. and shoot his shoot through a gap and make a linebacker miss. And it's really fun to watch. But he's just not getting those holes. It's very rare. Credit to yeah. Streeter and the and the offensive brain trust for getting getting him some throws on the outside, but you're just not seeing uh, those holes to the interior and they keep going to them. And that's been a, a gripe of the fan base. They are using that to set up some play action and in, in the RPO game. So I understand that they, you have to, you have to concede that a little bit, those, those one or two yard runs, but I'd rather those one or two yard runs be three or four yard runs at, at a minimum. So, yeah. He does seem like he's getting a little more comfortable running through traffic and kind of bouncing off of people a little bit more. I don't think anyone's going to have the yards after contact that um, ETN had, but yes. And just like last year and maybe every year, like I'm trying to remember the last year we had a really great interior run game. I mean, was it even the 18 team or was it, you know, yeah, sixteen team with Gallman. I don't think we have had one that's like we, I, people it's just would never been our thing. People would point to Taylor Hearn and, and John Simpson at left guard as you know the two mm-hmm. championship team left guards, uh, six, 18 and sixteen. But uh, mm-hmm. but even those teams, I don't think they were great at interior blocking. I mean, and mm-hmm. I think uh, I think it's just never been a strength. You know, maybe we have some guys coming up with uh, with Marcus Tate uh, getting some some mm-hmm. years under him. And and Colin Sadler next in line. Maybe maybe there's something brewing, but I don't think. And and frankly, with this unit this year, I, I think I'm happy if if their pass pro is is really good to elite, which I it's it's been really good. So mm-hmm. you know, so you can't have you know your cake and eat it too unless you're Georgia or Alabama. So I, I'm happy with <laughs> I'm happy with keeping DJ clean and and healthy and and some and some consistent mm-hmm. run blocking, if not like dominant run blocking. Yep. Yep. And I think, you know, quacking tigers probably beat the dead horse on uh, offensive line recruiting. And I'm sure he'd be happy to come on and, and give us his two cents. Cause it feels like you said with Sal Sadler and with uh, Miller and like some of these guys that are newer, like we're slowly starting to prioritize offensive line a little bit more. And I think with Thomas Austin being younger, um, you know, kids want to, kids want to play for him. And, you know, they don't necessarily want to play for Caldwell as much, you know, not that we have inside info, but it just seems like, you know, older guy has been around, you know, not really thinking or innovating a whole bunch, maybe. So having that um, fresh blood, I think is a good shot in the arm for O-line recruiting. I think so. I I definitely think so. I think it's already bearing fruit. And uh, yeah, by all accounts, Caldwell was good at development. But I think at the end of the day, like 80% of it's talent acquisition. And I think, I think Thomas Austin, you know, got that young hungry guy. And I think, I think that could change. There's no reason Clemson shouldn't be like, it was always uh, kind of, bef- what's the word befuddling to me that, uh, <laughs> that the offensive line wasn't one of the better, you know, like some position groups, maybe punter, maybe you're not great at that, but mm-hmm. uh, whatever. I feel like offensive line is a place that uh, Clemson should be able to do well in recruiting. And I think you're starting to see, starting to see the foundation of that. Uh, Tristan Lee, by the way, is the offensive tackle. That was the five-star mm. out of Virginia. Yeah. yeah, it's wild. I mean, you've got all these O-linemen that are like allegedly pretty talented and highly recruited. And it's like, okay, they're not getting playing time. I get that. But this is the era of the transfer portal. Yeah. And the last thing we can handle is like Lee and Sadler deciding to leave tomorrow because they're just not seeing the field. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. And, uh, and Diedrich Pennington is the other that I, I, I forgot about mm-hmm. because he came into last year, just a, a, you know, huge, huge dude and, and athletic, mm-hmm. uh, suffered a knee injury came. I think he came in at like three eighty uh, in terms of his weight. Yeah, something like that. It was just too large. I wanted to believe he could be a big giant mobile athletic dump truck, but yeah, yeah. I haven't seen him on the field yet. Yeah. But I, I think the, the ingredients are, are there. I think there's a bright future for the offensive line and uh, more Will Shipley runs to come mm-hmm. and, and Moffa for that matter too. True. Uh, Cody, anything on the offense you want to touch before we hop over to the defense? The big thing for me, uh, Brandon Streeter. 
we can talk about compare OCs if you want to talk about that at some point. Um, but I'll just say, I, I, I'm amazed. I see the creativity in his play calling. Again, people get mad. He makes, maybe he's going too much to the QB draw, um, or he's just going straight to the kind of a B gap run, um, to the running back. And it, it goes for like on, on second and long and it goes for no yards. Fans are upset about that. I'm like, I, I get it. I think he's setting that he's setting that up for later as as, as or he sees something with the defense where he feels like there's an opportunity there. Um, but I got to give him credit for the way he's 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 reworked the personnel, but also the a lot of the creativity in the play call and all the third and fourth down opportunities where we had to convert on on Saturday night. It seemed like you know I don't have the stats in front of me. It seems like Clemson pulled off most of those, and it, a lot of it was with a unique play that I had never seen before. Guys in motion, you know, misdirection, what all, all that stuff, and again. I just didn't see that at all during the Tony Elliott era. Yeah. I think QT had a joke about, you know, he's not doing so well in Virginia. He's saving it for uh, the end of the year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you're, we have, I think we have an totally upgrade. Right. I'll just say, I think we have you're, an upgrade as a, as our offensive coordinator. I feel, I feel confidently saying that. I agree. I honestly agree. And uh, if you go back a year ago, and listen to the podcast, what are the things we were all clamoring for? We wanted motion. We wanted creative play calling. We wanted to attack the middle of the field. We wanted to use the tight ends more. The only thing that we haven't had consistently in the offense is runs up the middle and wide receivers making like contested catches or most catches. But like, if you look at those, that's a huge, it's almost like he was listening to us and, and gave us the things that we were asking for. So all of those things are great. I mean, I love seeing Brenningstool sliding out from, uh, you know, releasing off his block and then coming into the end zone for a touchdown. Like, love it. Yeah. I, I think a lot of fans were clamoring for like a more advanced route tree um, from the wide receivers because it seemed like they were using a lot of basic routes from, you know, that they mm-hmm. had, that they really didn't, uh, haven't, hasn't, haven't evolved. And I think that has a lot to do with your personnel. I think now with Antonio Williams, Maybe they can maybe they can start to look for a different type of receiver that's a little bit more about route running uh, rather than mm-hmm. just your a lot of big nines. You know, when I say nines, I mean you know T Higgins and DeAndre Overton's. Yeah, like maybe uh, this like mid tier guy, this Ohio State type receiver is maybe that's what we're looking mm-hmm. for going forward. Definitely, uh, I think that's all I got on the offense. So why don't we jump over and talk about the defense? So. If you look at the defense, as I mentioned in the beginning, it definitely felt like at the beginning of the game, I started getting pretty nervous with just how easily they were kind of running the ball either side to side or even straight up the middle. That was the most disheartening is watching, you know, our D line, our boys just get just missing tackles or, you know, just getting pushed aside. And Dabo said, you know, it's a game in the trenches. It's just one-on-one a lot of times. Uh, so he said, look, they, there were times that they just wanted it more than we did. We just didn't want it. And that's what happens. You get guys blown off the ball, you get guys missing tackles. So there were times where I was nervous. There were times where I was excited feeling like, yeah, we finally figured out. We locked in. Everybody's in sync. There's good coverage, good tackling. And then there were times again, um, at the end, you know, where we were kind of back where we started kind of scratching our heads. So a bit of a roller coaster on defense. What are your what do you attribute that to? Or do you think that it's just some guys are rusty? Do you think that we're on the road? It's Tallahassee, it's the Florida humidity. Uh uh what comes to mind? Yeah, it's the humidity. Yeah. <laughs> First and foremost. No, it's it's funny. You you talk about like all the all these things happening. I all right, so I just waxed poetic about uh, Brandon Streeter and the offensive coordinator. I got to mm-hmm. say like something that when, when uh, there was a, a more dynamic quarterback uh, that we played in, in, in years past, Brent mm-hmm. Venables, who I have, we have to put this in the proper context is, was the best defensive coordinator in the country, if not the best coordinator in the country on either side of the mm-hmm. wall. And he would always have something. He's like, here's the guy we're not going to let it, let beat us. And I think, we can unequivocally say that was Jordan Travis, right? The mm-hmm. quarterback. They just, he seemed to be the guy that beat us. Now the, the, the running back uh, Benson was, was good. He, he shed a lot of tackles, but I, I felt like we didn't have the right game plan going in. I didn't feel like 
for one, you know, there, yeah, there was a lot of miss blocks. There was, they kept going to screen passes. And to me, that's when you can't blow up screen passes, it, it, you, you don't understand the formation. You're not prepared. You don't anticipate it. You have safeties that are slow mm-hmm. safeties that are not mean linebackers that aren't mean getting off blocks. That's a problem. That's just something that we, we haven't, we did not see during the Brent Venables era. That was the thing of coaching the things thing of like having a, an edge. Um, but overall going back to, yeah, there were a lot of things that I saw, uh, not having a spy on Jordan Travis, not game planning for him to bring, to show him something different. And it, it just looked like they made the adjustments throughout the game. We couldn't quite fill the gap. So all that said, there were a lot of positives from the defense too, but just, it just looked like we were unprepared and that, that goes to coaching. And again, putting it to his proper context, we've been, we've had the best defensive coordinator in the country for the last, what, 10 years. And now we have a guy that might be a good defensive coordinator, but at this point in his career, he's not Brent Venables. Mm-hmm. That's, that was kind of my takeaway. Maybe that's too much of a hot take. Maybe that's, you know, I don't know. What do you think about that? Look, this is a hot take podcast now that, uh, Tully and Ben are not here and, uh, Ben can't give us some, uh, words to calm down and, uh, be reasonable. So we're going to be hot takes as much as we want tonight. Um, I would agree. And speaking of hot takes, I read something from Anna Adams at two, four, seven that says this defense has had flashes of dominance this year, but the sums have not yet equaled the total of its parts. And that really stood out to me where, yeah, it feels like on paper, we have this really talented defense, you know, with a couple of spots that maybe are B minus to C's at time, maybe the corner position. Um, and then, you know, one of the safety positions, depending on who's playing, but even altogether, it doesn't feel like we've really tied it together um, and put that to put that where it needs to be. And even players are saying they're getting called out for being soft. I mean, just maybe one game of being called soft, like, okay, you're not focused. But it seems like there's been a couple of games where players have been told that they were being soft, where coaches say that we need to have more intensity. So like you said, not only I think we're, we really underappreciated, you know, you can see it in the sidelines when Venables was calling plays for Clemson. He just, he looked like he was biting through his own teeth, as I like to say. I mean, he just looked extremely intense and focused. And I think uh, Goodwin is a great play caller and probably extremely knowledgeable from what it sounds like. It's just there's a difference in going from like the director to the CEO, you know, to when you've got a you've got a team that you're rallying and leading to where like you have to make all the decisions and drive the vision of the team at every level. So I think that's a little bit uh, like you said, it's huge shoes to fill. And I don't envy him. Um, in any capacity doing that. Um, so with, with the way that is, what would you, what would you change? Is it more intensity? Is it different play calling scheming? Uh, if you could redo the FSU game. I, well, for one, the FSU game, I think there, there needed to be a spy on, on Jordan Travis. I think he needed, he needed to see that. No, we did send a lot of pressure and, the, and I credit to the defensive line for getting some pressure with just four and uh, in, in some cases, mm-hmm. but I felt, I felt like he, you had to see Venables would do this. He would send two bullet blitzes from linebackers. Uh, the next, the next play, a cornerback would come in and you're, you're, put, you're risking something obviously on the back end, mm-hmm. you're risking a big play but you do it enough because once the quarterback's been hit enough, he's like, I don't, you know, it, it, it kind of takes him out of the game mentally. Uh, it's beat it's You know, you sack someone on second and seven and now it's third and 15. It's they're done. That's how you, that's mm-hmm. how you end a, a drive. You have to take some big swings. So yeah, uh, I would like to see more uh, intensity, more, just more aggressiveness. And like mm-hmm. the, the part, the intangible part, about how Venables, like what it was about him that would just wore off on the defense or that like they, they kind of grabbed hold to, of his kind of fierce mindset that seemed to have uh, tapered away a little bit this year. So I I don't know how you account, like how you fix that, how you account for that. I no idea. Yeah. We all wish that there was an easy fix and we all have a Brent Venables shaped hole in our heart. So Um, It's not just the defense, it's the fans too. But when another thing I thought about too is not only did Venables move on, but you also had some really senior leadership in the team that also moved on with Skowski, with Spectre, with Nolan Turner, 
with uh, Andrew Booth and Mario Goodrich. So it's not just that the guys behind them aren't maybe necessarily more talented or have the potential to be more talented or more athletic. It's just that, you know, being a leader means you've been in the situations and you know what it takes to play at a certain level to get certain results and how to communicate that. And I think, you know, guys like uh, Trotter and McGuire and Bentley are all guys that have kind of been on the back burner for a couple of years. And so being in um, the limelight to drive people to be more focused. Um, and then, you know, you've got a mix of Koval and Makuba, like, you know, younger guys and uh, Pride is playing a lot, Davis and all this stuff. So we may be undervaluing that, like, it's not just that Goodwin isn't whipping the guys into shape, but it's just some of it is on the players and just that environment with the team of knowing like, Hey, you know, we don't have that big voice of Bulware or Skowski saying like, you know, get your shit together. Yeah. And I, I don't know to what extent I always, I always think the the leadership of one player, the vocal leader, as they call it is, uh, is overstated. I think mm-hmm. good, good players just play good and uh, like good character, put enough good character people like Christian Wilkins and the power Rangers together and they and combine that with talent, really good talent. Like they'll play really well and they'll win you a championship. I look through the roster. You mentioned a lot of guys. There's a lot there's a lot of guys we lost that you mentioned. You know, you're gonna lose seniors like that. It's gonna happen. Who are who's supplanting them? And I think there's enough there. We're talking about like Breesy and Tyler Davis and Miles Murphy, like they're in their third and fourth years. Uh, on the like the linebackers, they're they're young-ish, but they they're not that young. And especially when you talk about McGuire and Bentley, they're in their fourth or fifth, fifth seasons and there's enough experience there combined with talent where going back to i think you cited is it um anna adams mm-hmm. yeah like some of the parts type yeah some of the parts is greater than the whole it's not yeah that's not the case here yeah yeah it's not equal to the total yeah yeah in this case like i look at this defense and there's it's it's a great defense it stacks up on paper with some of the best Clemson defenses. So like the fact that they're not, it's not even like that. They're not great. They're not, sometimes they're not good. Like they're, they don't play to their ability. It, that is a big, that is a big red flag. Cause this is a, on paper, this is a great, great defense injuries, you know, youth stuff like that on the back end. But yeah, you, the, the rust on the team too, that, is maybe under undervalued as well, where you have people that were injured for a couple of games, Makuba being out for a little bit, who I still think is undersized for safety. I think he's only like 180. And that's, you know, yeah. makes me nervous having him hitting people. Uh, but, you know, Brzee missed the LA Tech game. Uh, he missed like two other games. And then, you know, that's like weeks of practice that he also missed on top of coming back from an ACL tear where he's, um, you know, just already trying to get himself back into shape and then dealing with all the stuff with, uh, you know, his family stuff, his sister. So, yeah, I think you're probably right that individual, you know, vocal leader might be a little overvalued. And then it, if that's the case, then it kind of makes me wonder why, like, guys like Murphy, I mean, KJ's looks, KJ and Davis and Murphy are older guys. I would say Murphy and or um, KJ and Davis have probably looked some of the most consistent out of, all of them, but um, it, we're just missing something. I yeah. feel like it's that that unifying moment where all of those pieces kind of pull themselves together. Yeah, be, because individually, you've seen some really standout performances. Like Barrett Carter, I think, has really flashed all year. Uh, Jeremiah Trotter's looked very good. Trent Simpson's Trent Simpson has had his moments. Tyler Davis has been good. Miles Murphy's really come on. I'm really been impressed by him. So it's not, and KJ's been, you know, he's been a godsend. Uh, so it's not like guys haven't individually been good. It's just like, yeah, coming together, clicking, like you said, the, the unis, unified, unifying moment or whatever. Um, yeah, you still want to see that. And I think it does, it is because of injuries. Makuba has been injured. I, I think it was his elbow. I, I feel like when he's coming in to, and, and filling a gap, shooting a gap, you're hitting a running back at full speed. I feel like safeties that are injured, I you can just see it. And like and, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's what you saw from him and both Venables. So I chalk up a little bit a bit of them being a step slow and, and missing some tackles. They've been injured. Um, Sheridan Jones, great getting him back. I think the things that don't happen that you don't see because you didn't see a lot on his side of the field, I think that's that just shows you something um from a, a, a from having his presence there. A Wiggins is getting better. I'm now I'm just kind of going through the team, but 
Um, there's a lot of promising stuff there. So all that to say, I think the silver lining from that is there's been there's been injuries. There's been um, guys that have like XT coming back. Um, there's been guys that have Brazil having a family issue, uh, the, the the death of his sister. I think things are coming together. Um, and I, ultimately I think that the, the, there's a, there's no reason the defense shouldn't be better in six weeks than they are now. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, again, given being, having some grace for Wes Goodwin, it's his first season. I bet he's going to get better, uh, between now and in the postseason. Yeah. Good points. You know, we don't want to be all doom and gloom and, uh, you know, just, uh, make fun of the defense this whole segment but just wanted to call things out i mean these are things that as clemson fans especially that watch the games really closely that we notice and we have had the highest standard of defensive performance and coaching um in the country in my opinion the last really decade especially the last six or seven years so just things that we like to talk about gotta point out that murphy had a freaking awesome forced fumble that was super cool to see i love seeing a good forced fumble and then recovering it um other than that yeah like it's I, I go back to what I said in the opening where it's like Dabo just has a formula of like peaking the team. And I think that, you know, we get enough film that they can see their mistakes. And I think they're going to grow from the mistakes. And I think when Syracuse comes to town this week, we're going to be hopefully focused, not as rusty and uh, ready to go. Give them some. Cool. Well, uh, Cody, I'm going to pop over to the special teams and uh, just touch on that briefly, and we will roll on for the rest of the show. So special teams, not much to say here. You know, I think two things that stand out to me were I believe we had two 50-plus yard punts from Aiden Swanson, which was insane. I think there was one that we pinned him like right down, like within a 10, and that's just awesome to see and for so many years we've had to deal with like the uh heartburn of not knowing what our punting team is going to do uh i think antonio williams has taken over for will taylor at return which i approve because taylor's just been a little shaky catching some of those balls and it's really not worth taking the risk when i would rather just fair catch every punt than try to make an explosive play with somebody who's um, going to risk uh, dropping the ball. So the other thing too, is that Shipley did have that pick big kickoff return. So two things that are positive for special teams, anything else that you saw on special teams? I mean, obviously BT Potter. Yeah. Solid as usual. Highest scoring kicker in Clemson history. Now we'll be, we'll play in the league. We'll we'll, uh, make an NFL squad. I'm sure. And, uh, We've all we've been questioning all year whether the risk reward, you know, putting Will Shipley as a kick returner and the risking the injury, given the value he provides at running back and needing him there, is it worth it? Is the trade off worth it? And I guess you know you did see that good run. You're like, yeah, he is the one guy on the team. Maybe not the one guy, but he is. He can make that happen. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, in a playoff game or a, you know high stakes game, maybe it does make sense to have him there. Um, I wouldn't mind not seeing him there every kickoff though. Yeah that's a good point so we are still looking for our cj spiller on kickoff returns <laughs> he doesn't so have that until top that end day speed. we will just <laughs> yeah well Dabo made the joke the other week where um shipley caught that one ball on like the wheel route and then ran it in almost to the end zone and Dabo was like that's an awesome that was an awesome play but you know if that was cj he would have got that touchdown and apparently like you know peeved him off so love that Love that little feistiness. Yeah. Awesome. Again, special teams, short and sweet, which is a great thing because if we're talking about special teams for a long time, something horrible has happened. So we'll take that. We'll just move it on. Let's talk about the biggest game of the week outside of ours. So Tennessee, Alabama, number three versus number six in Knoxville at Neyland Stadium. I think 101,000 people attended there and i've been to that stadium cody once for a spring game and it's it's a very like it's a different type of stadium feel because it wraps around like you feel like you're almost in like a roman coliseum and then behind you you have the river that goes by where they have uh, i think it's called ball navy that hangs out down there but let's look at some of these stats in this game first this is the first time that tennessee beat alabama since 2006 
And I think the police are still looking for that missing goalpost somewhere down on the river. So I hope they find it. I think they literally started to go fund me for that. Um, first you saw the game. I'll get the stats in a second. What, what's your gut reaction? How'd you feel watching that? Did you enjoy watching 1100 yards of offense in an sec game? Well, I was one of the idiots that bet the under. So, it, but you know, like, <laughs> I think you mentioned, like you, you, you sent us a text that said, God, I feel like how, imagine how the guys that bet the under fill. I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> but the thing was like, you knew you lost by like halftime. So it was, it was okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I, I saw Tennessee though the week before and I'm like, they're, they're good. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're not like you, some teams just kind of catch fire um, early and you're like, yeah, like Kansas, for example. Tennessee's good. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying they're back or their program's back, but uh, Hendon Hooker is a good player. Uh, the the Tennessee faithful. The, those are some rabid fans. Those are they're just like Georgia. They're just it's just Georgia North. Like they care about football way too much. Even Clemson, uh, like a self respecting Clemson fan, has some boundaries. Like those people, mm-hmm. it's it's religion. So like that was a yeah. This I've never been there. Uh, the stadium it looked like a just a raucous. It looked incredible. Like. Uh, I don't mind seeing orange going crazy like that. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think the team's legit. I love seeing Alabama lose and, uh, yeah, 16 years. I, one other thing, the, uh, the announcer said, um, they're going to get fined for that when the players entered the, uh, <laughs> or, or, I'm sorry, when the, when, when the, fans, the fans, yeah, when they went on the field and, uh, the, uh-huh. the, the other announcer said, uh, it's okay. They've been saving up for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, Absolutely. The, the crazy thing, too, it's just, you know, one, Alabama has looked up and down this year and extremely undisciplined. They had 17 penalties for 130 yards, which seems crazy. And they allowed 450 passing yards. And they even had 15 more minutes of time of possession and still lost. And it's just, you know, that quick, I can't remember the num- receiver, I think number 11 for Tennessee just caught everything. I think he had 200 yards and like five touchdowns. So, I mean, what a difference that one player can make in the game and Alabama couldn't cover him and they ended up losing. And it's, there's something extra satisfying about Saban's teams losing. I'd say best way is when we blow them out in the natty, obviously, but then second best is when they uh, struggle with special teams. Yes. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I so I think Tennessee's pace, like if you watch a Tennessee game, just look at the pace they play with. Like they are getting the ball off so quick. So that's part of the reason they, their time of possession was, you know, uh, disproportionately low um, versus mm-hmm. Bama's. They were scoring so quickly, and in some cases they were they were three and out, getting going three and out, and that's when Alabama came back. But that that offense, like I think Clemson, I, I think I think when I when I see pace, people that move at that level of pace, like it's it's almost impossible to defend, especially when you have uh, you know a good quarterback like they do. And is it Hyatt or Highland? Uh, they, they're great uh, wide receiver. I, it's one of those two, I yeah. think. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah, you're right. It's like Clemson has the weapons. I, I think any team. I don't know if it's it's like why Clemson doesn't use more pace, but you know, that's a story for another day, but that's a, that's a legit offense and their defense made some plays too. uh, credit to Bryce young on like, if you watch that guy, like if you thought Deshaun Watson was Houdini, like that guy's on like next level, like the way he mm-hmm. just evades the, the guys, uh, the, the pass rush. It's, it's incredible. Well, when you look at, you know, before Deshaun faced Saban in 15, I mean, you had guys like AJ McCarron, um, uh, right. He was Bama, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, just some of those other quarterbacks that they had forever was just a under center guy, you know, can throw some passes, wasn't going to necessarily, you know, be, you know, Vince Young or Deshaun or anybody like that. And I think once he saw what a quarterback that can run and throw can do, he, to his credit, completely adapted his game, went after Jalen Hurts, went after Tua, um, went after Bryce Young. So, you know, it's, uh, nobody's going to say that the Saban era is coming to an end, but it was, uh, it was a real messy game. So we'll yeah. see what happens the rest of the season. Well, I've got some hot takes later on too. Well, I'll, I'll kind of throw a hot take. Like we had a, a little, I don't, I think it was me and Ben and Tully in uh, two episodes ago. And we talked about Clemson not being top five or whatever, not, not leapfrogging Michigan or high state. And 
I, I kind of agree that I, from what I've seen, I don't know if they're on that level of Bama, Georgia, and maybe even Tennessee, but also Ohio State and Michigan. I'm like, I don't know if they're quite there, but I don't think that Bama's like, you know, a juggernaut this year. I don't, Georgia actually might be, but I don't like they, they've shown some, some, they have some issues. So like, I still think it's so preposterous to think that Clemson could play with, with any of those teams or that at least that their ceiling is right there with any of those teams. I don't know if that's a hot take or just kind of a reasonable take. Do you think it? No, I think, I think that's more of a reasonable take and it's definitely, um, it's definitely a little spicy. Um, does it, is it interest you that if I were to tell you, um, without seeing the scores that Tennessee is going to beat Alabama and Tennessee is going to score as many points against Alabama that Georgia is going to score against Vandy. That was interesting to me. I mean, uh, it's still 50 something points, but, um, you know, it's 50 points against Vandy versus 50 points against Nick Saban. Right. That's, uh, yeah. The defense had some issues. Yeah. Even their offense wasn't perfect. And, uh, and if Bryce Young can't stay healthy, like anyhow, it's not, it's, it's not Bama's to lose this year. It's like far from that. And I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't see it as like such a, a high tier of like these guys and we're not there yet. It's like, it's like, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's, mm-hmm. There, there is a tier, and there's teams behind it. But I think Clemson's, you know, they're 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 close. They're knocking on the door of the the Bamas and Georgias and and the highest yeah. this year. Yeah, we're betting on that. Like we do continue to peak and get better and better. But if we are kind of peaking now, and we level off. Then I say that the team, as we see it, even if it gets a little bit better, is still not going to be probably good enough to win a Natty. Um, maybe compete for one. But as long if we can continue to tighten up over time, then like, that's who we will be in the postseason. So yeah. we just have to wait and see. Um, some, yeah. Some injury yeah. luck and who knows, just put together two good games. Like it could be that kind of season where like, again, another, another great team or an all time team is not going to win this year. It's going to be a, it's going to be a flawed <laughs> team. Why not us? Yeah. Why not us? So, I Jared, love what's, that. what's your, uh, what's your hot takes? Are we ready for these? Cause I'm, I'm yeah. eager. So, so a couple hot takes that I've got is what's the most chaotic scenario you can think of for the college football playoff. And I will list off an, a potential one. Uh, Tennessee beats Alabama, which has happened. UGA beats UT, which could happen. They're both in the East. UGA then loses to Bama in the SEC championship game. So you have three one-loss SEC teams. Meanwhile, Michigan beats Ohio State, but then loses in their championship game. So then you have two one-loss Big Ten teams. And then Clemson say we win the ACC or we have one loss and win the ACC. Like I think because there's not a couple teams that are just absolutely blowing everybody out, is this the year where we just have a roll of the dice shit show of playoff selection day. Yeah. It's like a figure skating match where it's all, sub- <laughs> it's all subjective. Yeah, it, it could be very, it very well could be. And, and from what I've seen, Tennessee's deserving. We'll see how the, uh, how everything plays out in terms of, you know, like if it's, what, what's it called? The, the, the complete chaos scenario. I'm, I'm rooting for chaos. I'll, I'll tell you that. I would, and I would love to see Bama or Georgia not make it to the playoff just because, you know, they're playing in the mighty SEC. I'm okay with that. Yeah, you heard it here first. We are Team Chaos on the podcast. And, yes, it would be great to see uh, Bama or Georgia have to sit at home. Uh, another hot take, is Cade going to transfer? Because he hasn't seen the field, but for maybe – he's seen the field for a dozen snaps, it feels like. He's not going to try five star guy. He's a, he's a high character kid. He loves Clemson. If, mm-hmm. if DJ comes back, I think he has a decision to make. I don't think DJ's coming. I think the hot take is DJ's probably not coming back. Interesting. Cause if DJ does come back, you also have Chris Vizina, a freshman five star coming in and yeah. Then what happens? Yeah. Then, yeah. Then Cade's going into year three, knowing that he's, mm-hmm. he's going up against For year two. Or like, well, assuming like, you know, DJ goes three or four with Clemson. So then you're a, a third year club, Nick mm-hmm. and a second year, mm-hmm. uh, Benzino. I think 
club Nick might need to search for greener. That's one of those things where I don't fought a quarterback because there's only one quarterback mm-hmm. position. So I think maybe he leaves then, but I, I don't think DJ's coming back. Yeah, I, I think so. And even at the beginning of the season, Dabo made a point to say that uh, DJ is planning to graduate in December and all that type of stuff. That may have been to kind of calm the media people asking for his head after last year, but I guess we'll have to see. Um, I've all, we always tried to support DJ and so proud of him for the season that he's uh, turned this into. So look, we've got outtakes like Ben and Tully are not here to be the parents and the adults in the room. So here's what I want to know. What's more likely Tennessee makes the sec championship game or Clemson loses a game. Tennessee makes, makes the sec championship game. So is at more likely than us losing a game. I guess maybe how likely do you think it is that we lose a game um, versus you know, Georgia the regular Georgia. season? I think it's much more likely that that Tennessee makes the they get they have to go to Athens. I don't think they're going to win that. Uh-huh. Let me say it back to you. I think it's more likely. Oh man, I don't know. I what do you think? <laughs> it, maybe it's more likely that Tennessee. <laughs> I don't know. I I think I think it's more likely that Tennessee makes a championship game because when I look at Syracuse, I look at Notre Dame, Louisville, and Miami, I don't know that I for sure am like, shit, we're gonna lose this game. Not that I would ever be that way, even against Georgia to open up last year. Um but I think that's us losing is probably less likely, which is kind of hard to follow at home. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think us losing is less likely. Yes. I, I feel pretty good. I, our, our biggest test is Syracuse. And I think it's, well, the next two weeks will be test, mm-hmm. but then it's downhill. I love that. Uh, so who do you blame for the defensive line inconsistencies? Do you blame more of Eason or Goodwin, and why is the real answer Dabo Sweeney? It's all Dabo's fault. Uh, so what are the defensive line inconsistencies? Is it pass rush or the, uh, allowing more of the run game? What's the, what's the primary gripe? I would say it's easy to be like uh, recency bias towards saying the run game. Um, but we, if you take that out, we've crushed in the run game. I think some of the defensive line inconsistencies have been maybe not playing with as much intensity. We'll just leave it at that. Who is that on? Um, Stabo. No, I, I, I think that, is that like, I don't know in the interwebs and in the social media sphere, is that what's being said? Are these things being said about Clemson on the internet? I don't you know. I don't know. I don't have social media right now. <laughs> yeah, you you put it away. That's a good call. Good decision to do that. Um, I don't know. I, I I think all that's overblown. I think the defensive line is is. I think I said they need to be eighty percent of what the Power Rangers were in order for this mm-hmm. to be a championship team. They're not eighty percent of what the Power Rangers were, but I think they're about sixty five percent. I think they and they I think they could get eighty percent. I think they've been yeah. good. I think they've been good. KJ's been good. I'm I'm not gonna. I think there, there's there's another gear with good help, but I'm not gonna fault anyone on the defensive line sure and just a reminder these are hot takes these are shit takes cody does not have any prior knowledge of this we are just you know swinging at this for good time's sake um i guess the last one that i have here is out of brzee murphy and davis who stays and who goes brzee murphy david well davis well i technically he has another year but he's gone it's his fourth year he's he's gone um Percy and Murphy, you could make the argument for either one to come back uh, for, for mm-hmm. different reasons. I think Brzee's put enough on film. He's probably going to be a first rounder, even though you, you take it, you know, he's had a bad year this year. Not a bad year. It's just because of his injury coming off the ACL. He hasn't been peak Brzee. So mm-hmm. you, I think he would get still be a top probably 10 pick given just his, his ceiling and what he's put on film. Murphy was the one that I hadn't put enough on film, I thought. Although that's changed in the last few weeks, but I mm-hmm. thought there was a chance he could fall maybe to second round and, and have an incentive to come back 
to get that first round money. So I still think it's Murphy, but that could yeah. change. That could change if Razi just kind of stays stale and doesn't hit that second level. It could be that his stock falls by the end of the year while Murphy's ascends. What do you think? I think that Brazil, because he's had such a weird year and missed a bunch of time of practice and just before even the family stuff, he was recovering from a torn ACL and getting that confidence back. So I think with that, the weird year, I think he's going to want to come back just to prove a point. If, unless he just absolutely goes ham these last couple of games and in the playoffs, hopefully. Murphy, I think he could be – he's probably like – 60% would probably leave, but I think that he also knows that he's been kind of playing soft, you know, some games and really, yeah, I, so yeah, I would say Brzee comes back, Murphy 50, 50 and Davis leaves. Yeah. Well, and my point just being too, that Brzee, I've seen him be a dominant player. I haven't seen mm-hmm. Murphy has not been a dominant player until the last few weeks, but he needs to. Yeah. So I'm with you. I would say it's higher than 60 for Murphy though, to go to the the league. I think it's probably like 80 right now. Mm. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Anything you want to say about other games from last week, games coming up this week. Um, You know, we might not touch on much of the Syracuse preview so much as we have, you know, we're kind of running the show this time. So if the, if the podcast, like, I heard Tully say we make no promises about anything. So we're kind of following our own format here. What are your thoughts? Anything you want to add in? You want to, you want to take a jab? I'll take a jab at South Carolina because I'm really proud that they did not lose this week playing their bye week. So congrats on not taking it out. Anything else about South Carolina? <laughs> uh, I mean, I still think that they should have named uh, their chicken something a little more salacious but you know i guess they'll have to go with uh did they actually go with cock commander i have no idea oh my god yeah i think i in the one of the ones i suggested um private penis something like that so there's still there's still time yeah i so i i didn't watch any other games i watched the alabama game uh, cause I was watching the Braves playoff. So I was really dialed into that. And I really, I watched the, my, the, uh, the, the Alabama Tennessee game and that was it. So I know nothing else. I saw Kansas mm-hmm. lost. So their runs mm-hmm. over. I saw, yeah. uh, Oklahoma won. So their the new streak begins, but, <laughs> but so I, I know nothing else and I haven't, I haven't, you know, listened to any college football podcasts this week. So <clears throat> Yeah, Miami beat Virginia Tech in the Who Cares Bowl 20 to 14. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Old Miss is still undefeated. Can the lane train be stopped? So that's a so that's interesting because if the, I would Alabama's been faltering, Oklahoma could or Oklahoma, uh Old Miss could come Miss. in and uh yeah, yeah that, I would love it. And then and then ultimate chaos, they come in beat let's say Georgia. Yeah, you see all old Miss and Lane Kiffin competing in the in the playoff. One loss all around. Yeah. <laughs> that would be uh be interesting. Pretty wild. Um I think coming up this year or this year, this week, we're losing it, people. It's getting late here. Um the biggest game is probably UCLA versus Oregon, number nine versus number ten. I realized today the Pac twelve has no divisions. So they got rid yeah. of their divisions this year and yeah. what ACC is gonna do. So That'll be an interesting game. Could have um, implications to a playoff team, depending on what shakes out higher up the rankings. Um, other than that, not anything super jumps out that I'm dying to see. Maybe Iowa randomly beats Ohio State like they did a couple of years ago, but I doubt it. Yeah, the, it's funny. Like the the, the uh, dichotomy between the uh, the Big Ten. I think it's boring football for the most part, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about yeah. Iowa and. Well, Ohio State is fine. Ohio State's fine, but even Michigan's a bit boring. Um, but talk, yeah, it's just yeah. generally it's ground and pound, boring football. But then Pac-12, like Oregon mm-hmm. and uh, UCLA, say what you want about them. You know when they play Georgia and it, they get embarrassed. Fair enough. But like watching those, two, like they're very entertaining teams to watch. So like that's definitely something yeah. I'll, I'll be tuning into. UCLA's, I think they're good. Yeah, too. we could do a whole. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I could see an entire hour or more of just rambling about what college football would look like if there were no like SEC type teams. And it was like most people were at like ACC Pac-12 level, like would just be chaos of like who's really the highest in the pecking order where you don't have somebody like Saban in Alabama just come in and just like sledgehammering whatever team goes against them in the first round of the playoffs. So totally a subject that's off the rails here at this point. Um, before we get out of here, any thoughts you want to say about Syracuse? Cuse is 6-0, and Clemson 7-0. and um, Like I said, I think it'll be the first time two teams, at least 6-0, and have come into Death Valley. Syracuse believes. Yeah, they're they're hot. I I think Clemson has the upper hand because we're at home. I I I think I think it's actually good that they're ranked and that they've had so much success because it I think when Clemson like is a when Syracuse is a threat to Clemson is when Clemson lets their guard down, but they're not going to be letting their guard down. They know that Dino Babers is a good coach. Their quarterback's a good uh good quarterback. They have a great running back. I, I, I can't recall his name. So I think it's actually good that they're coming Sean in Tucker. ranked with this hype knowing that they're undefeated because it You've seen it. We talked about it. Inconsistencies along the defensive line and other places. I think it, it allows Clemson to get up for this. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I looked at some of the stats. They're getting all five starters back on the O line, and they have a left guard that's three hundred and seventy five pounds. So you don't. I don't know. You. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I just want to let it be known that you that big is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> You hear that, DJ, yeah. if you're listening. Big is beautiful. Yep. I've been cheering for you all season, my man. Get out on the field and uh, pancake somebody. Uh, you know, Q's only other away game all year was at UConn. So I think as long as we're more rowdy than UConn, you know, they might have a tougher time in Death Valley. I think, I think we can achieve that. I think we can handle it. Um, and it's a, it's a long flight for these Northerners. You know, they're coming into the – deep south and uh mm-hmm. i don't know i feel good about it but i i think it ends up being our best game uh, our best team that will play for the rest of the way i didn't mean for that to rhyme Ooh, i like that <laughs> we'll take it at this point so that's all i got overall i'm not super scared of cues neither is vegas minus 13 and a half uh want to see us play a more complete game i'm obviously not an expert i'm obviously a bit of a homer so when i say i'm not really scared of them that could mean that that's worth nothing so uh would be interested if you're watching this on youtube you can also comment down below and let us know what you think um so yeah and also comment like what was it that compelled you to listen to this whole podcast uh that would be i'm just kidding yes but no, no like, and if yeah. you if you're somewhere at home and this was shuffled on and you're stuck maybe you're bedridden <laughs> and you can't get out. I just want to give a shout out to you for thank you for listening. And even though you couldn't change, you didn't change like most of us. Right on. Yeah. Uh, anything before we wrap it up and get out of here, Cody and leave these people alone. No, just plug in the YouTube channel. Like I know the algorithms takes a while, but yeah, if you, if you do watch YouTube and you rather see our faces, I get it. Can't do two things at once, but uh, yeah, just like and subscribe, like and subscribe because that that helps the algorithms, and we can get in front of other people and hopefully grow our following. Absolutely. And if you also want to listen to the audio version of this, and you're still listening on the, the podcast version, you can find us anywhere that you get your podcast from, whatever service that may be. Um, I think that's about it. So, if nothing else, I think we'll just say, "Go Tigers."